Join me now in prayer. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Sovereign Lord, we thank you that at the very birth of our nation in 1789, you gave our first president and Congress the wisdom to set aside an annual Thanksgiving holiday to acknowledge our many national blessings and to thank and praise the one maker and giver of all good things. Thank you for the faith of our founders and for the multitude since who have given their last full measure of devotion to preserve those blessings for us and our posterity. With both a raucous election and a quiet national holiday behind us, we ask you to guide us now as a people into the ways of justice and truth and to establish among us the peace which is the fruit of righteousness. Temper the pride of victors by the knowledge that your judgment is on both victors and vanquished. Bind us together as a nation into a community, though often uneasy neighbors, that acknowledges and serves and pleases you. Give our leaders at all levels of government such love for justice that they not only make it easy to render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but also protect our freedom to render to God what is God's. Lord, we come to you now mindful of the sorry confusion of our world. We pray for the wicked and the cruel and the unjust, whose arrogance simply reveals to us what the sins of our own hearts are like when sin has brought forth its final fruit. Lord, resist the proud, give grace to the humble, and have mercy on us all. We pray for the many victims of tyranny and injustice, that they may resist oppression with courage and preserve their integrity by a hope that defies the terror of the moment, and that you would lift up your people to be prophets of truth against the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We pray for ourselves who live in peace and quiet, that we may not regard our good fortune as proof of our virtue, nor rest with ease at the price of others' sorrow. Lord, show us what we ought to do. Call us afresh to our dignity in being co-workers with you as stewards of your creation. Show us also what are the limits of our powers and what we cannot do. Remind us of our weakness that we may look to you who works in us both to will and to do your good pleasure and who supplies what is needed beyond our own powers. We lift up prayers for members of our worshiping body, knowing that you are the God who is there and you are not silent and you delight in the prayers of your righteous people, righteous, that is, on account of the blood of our Savior Jesus. We pray for our church staff, our shepherding team, small group and Bible study and prayer leaders, our children's teachers, worship team, and so many others who volunteer to serve, that you would guide them and protect them, that their service in your name would bear holy fruit. We pray for our newly elected members of the shepherding team, Hannah Hauser and Janetta Jamerson Maurer, asking that you consecrate them for service and give them wisdom and patience. We pray for Trevetta Johnson, whose father next week is moving with her road trip to Knoxville from Texas, that the transition may go well and the family be blessed by the efforts of caring for him. We pray for Suzanne Hassel, whose chemotherapy may eventually rob her of her golden hair, 
but not of your spirit living within her. Grant her a minimum of pain and a maximum of your peace and presence. We pray for Bill Lee and his long and slow process of cancer treatment, that he would feel the presence of the prayers of the saints on his behalf and the comfort of your abiding love. We pray for all among us who suffer from bodily pain, emotional distress, from grief or loss, from the hurt of broken relationships, hopelessness, money worries, or any other affliction, that you, the balm of Gilead, would draw near to them and reveal yourself anew as the true shepherd and father and husband and provider and great physician. We pray for all those who bear the burden of caring for others, humbly serving, knowing that they are laying up treasures in heaven. We pray for our students of all ages whose calling now in life is to grow in wisdom and stature in the eyes of God and man, that you would bring into their lives godly teachers and mentors who would inspire them to become all that you have created them to be. And finally, we pray for our pastor, Doug Bannister, that your Holy Spirit would speak through his sermon tonight and impress your word into our hearts, that we may know you better and serve you more faithfully. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. I invite you to close your eyes, if you would, and allow the following words to resonate throughout you like great music does in a cathedral, to wash over you that they may more than inform, but may transform you. From the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through him. Nothing that was made was made without him. In him is life, and the life is the light of all people. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. The word of the Lord. Well, I think Dan's lovely prayer said it well. It has been a a raucous fall, and I thought it might be a good opportunity during Advent to step back for a little bit uh, and just sit at the feet of Jesus, uh, and maybe, as Turner imagined it, maybe pretend for a moment that we're in a great cathedral, and we're just looking up at, at him. There's really no better place to do that than in the opening words of, of John's gospel. And that's where we'll be for uh, three of the four Sundays in Advent. Next week, we have a, a wonderful opportunity. River and Rail Theater Company is going to give us a, a, a showing of uh, the unusual tale of Mary and Joseph's baby, which is an original folk musical that's already run in New York. And we'll be running here in, in December, and they've offered to give us that. So we'll be doing that next Sunday night. But the other three weeks will be in the Gospel of John, uh, the first few verses. And I, I thought we'd call this series Mystical Christianity. And the reason why I picked that word, I know that can mean many different things. But what, what I'm using it to refer to is this idea that Christianity... Uh, 
essentially is a communion with God. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a transforming encounter with the living Christ. Before it's anything else, it's that. And so we are a busy congregation. We're a hardworking congregation. We're involved in all sorts of things. We care a lot about social justice. We work hard at our jobs and raising our families and all those things. And I just thought it'd be good to take three weeks, step back, and and just look at what is my union with Christ like? What, what is my personal relationship with Christ like? And, and how am I cultivating that relationship? Um, John's gospel opens with some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. And Sandy Greek, or Sandy Lanzoni, was telling me that it reminded her of the beginning of Dickens' Christmas Carol. And in the beginning of Dickens' Christmas Carol, Dickens says, now, before you read this book, you have to understand that Jacob Marley is dead. And if you don't know that Jacob Marley is dead, nothing in the book will make sense after this. And John, in a similar way, is saying, before you read anything about Jesus Christ and his work and his teaching, you have to understand what I'm about to tell you. This is where the gospel begins. And the gospel begins with this simple phrase, in the beginning. And John knew that many of his writers would be familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, which also begin with the phrase, in the beginning. And so right off the bat, one of the things he wants us to connect us with is the opening of the Hebrew Bible, where God creates the heavens and the earth. And John wants us to know that this Jesus that we're about to learn about was there in the beginning. This Jesus is not just the founder of a religion. He is eternal. He exists as God and with God from the foundation of all time. And then he says, in the beginning was the word. And the Greek word is logos. Uh, One of the things John faced about 90 AD when he was writing this was, how do I explain Jesus to Jews and Greeks? who have a very different worldview. And so he picked a word that would have been known to both of them. Remember, most Jews read the Old Testament in in Greek at this point. And so the word logos, or word, for a Hebrew meant the power of God active in the world. If you go back to Genesis 1, and God said, and God said, and God said, the Hebrew word is dabar. It means to speak into being, to create And there's dozens, if not hundreds of verses that talk about the word of God breathing over the water, the word of God calling into forth the ocean, the word of God sustaining life in every place. It's this idea that God's word, God's debar, is living in active power that is flowing through every aspect of life. Now, the Greeks had a little different idea. They used this word logos a lot, and for them it meant... The the divine mind, the divine power that organized and and ran the world. And so John just squished those two together and he said, Jesus is the logos of God. He is a creative power that is at work even now in and around every aspect of creation, holding it together, sustaining it. I have a friend named Peter, I think I've mentioned to you, him to you before. We swim together uh, in the mornings. 
He's a physicist over at Oak Ridge, really sharp guy. And uh, we have kind of an ongoing friendly debate about faith and science. And usually it's by email. Sometimes last week we're in between sets and breathing very heavily. And he says, quick, five words, meaning of life. <laughs> I said, love God, love neighbor. He said, that's four. I said, hurry. He said, that's five, go. And we're off again. So we, we have this kind of relationship. And Peter and I have uh, an ongoing debate about materialism. Peter is what you'd call a materialist. If Peter were writing this gospel, he would say, in the beginning was stuff. It's always been there. Always will. Peter does not believe that there is a reality beyond the physical material world. As he put it to me once, if I can't measure it, it doesn't exist. And so, well, when we say in the beginning was the word, was the logos, one of the things that I, that I want us to understand is that you are embracing a radical worldview at that point, if you really believe this. Very, very radical. Now, I would argue that most Christians actually are materialists. <laughs> we, we kind of have an idea that God's up there, but we don't really expect them to mess with anything down here. But the biblical worldview is this idea that beyond the material world, there is this debar, there is this logos, there is this rima, there is this word, there is this divine energy and power that is just flowing and coursing through everything at all times, that the two worlds are integrated and overlap. And so that's why the Bible is filled with all this crazy stuff. That's why prayer is so important in the Bible. That's why... Miracles happen in the Bible and demons get cast out in the Bible and all, all this crazy stuff in the Bible because that worldview sees the word of God, the power of God, the spiritual world is just as real as the physical world. And everybody believed that. There was a missionary in, in India many years ago. His name was Paul Hebert. And uh, he, he went over, he was trained at the best American universities and he, he went over to India and he found out nobody would listen to him. And he, because they believed in all this spiritual stuff that was going on. And he kept just trying to preach the gospel. And he came back and he wrote a famous paper. It's called The Law of the Excluded Middle. And The Law of the Excluded Middle went, went like this. that you have. He said, this is how the West views reality. You have religion up here and sacred stuff. You have uh, science down here and secular stuff. And there's this big excluded middle where nothing really happens. And Hebert argued that the worldview of the people in the village in India where he was at saw the spiritual world and the material world as all mixed up together, and he argued that that actually was a more biblical worldview. And I think that he is right. That the word of God, the power of God, the energy of God, the life of God is coursing through all of reality, and there are forces that oppose that work as well. So if you say you believe in the word of God, if you say that you believe actually that there is a reality, a power, a force that is not material, that has existed before and will always exist into all eternity, you've just said something that really puts you at odds with the entire Western project. It's a very, very Scary idea, and if you will embrace it, 
it'll, it'll really mess with your life. I think that's what C.S. Lewis was trying to say with his little children's book about the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, and going through the wardrobe, and the children go into this magical kingdom where animals talk and miracles happen, and they come back and nothing's changed, and they're in the same world. I think he's saying, if you embrace a biblical worldview, get ready to go through the wardrobe. Because there's another world that's just as real as this one. Then he says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The preposition with in the Greek is not the normal one. It means, and the word was in God's presence, or the word was very close to God. God has always had a deeply personal relationship with his son for all eternity. And the word was God. Jesus is God. One of the things you have to understand before you go anywhere in any gospel. The other gospels put more stress on the humanity of Jesus. John's gospel puts more stress on the divinity of Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made. The Son has put his stamp on all of creation. Now here's where I want to camp out for just a moment, and this is kind of where we get to the mystical part. The first Four sentences are kind of introducing us, reminding us who Jesus is. He's God. He's with God. He's eternal. Then John says, in him was life. Two main Greek words for life. Bios means biological life. Zoe means life as God intends it. Abundant life, meaningful life, life in Christ. John says, in Jesus is Zoe. In Jesus is a meaningful, full, genuine, uh, abundant life. And, And John will use this word many different times. Jesus will talk about it a lot. Jesus will say in John 6, I'm the bread of life. And if you want to be nourished by the bread of life, you must eat me. John chapter 6. You must actually take in my life. And that's where I want to sit for a moment. The first thing I want to ask you is, how's your life? If you just had to describe tonight what your life is like, the safe friend, what would you say? And I don't, I don't think this means, I don't think Jesus is referring to a life free of problems. Certainly didn't mean that. But he's saying that what God has for a Christian is a life that has meaning and purpose and joy and fulfillment and value even in a fallen world. So just as a kind of an Advent gift to yourself, just check in tonight. What, how meaningful is your life? It's okay if it's not. It's a good place to start. So how do you move towards the fullness of life that Jesus has for you? Well, let me suggest two ways. When, when John is talking about in him is life, 
let me suggest that there's two different ways in which we connect with the life of Christ. The first is in a broad sense is we embrace and live within the story of Jesus Christ as presented in the gospel. We, we embrace the narrative of Scripture. We embrace the hope of the gospel, this idea that God created the word, world, man fell into sin, we rebelled, God sent his son as a savior to redeem us. We're now in a relationship with him, partnering with him in a healing project that one day will be finished when Christ returns. We're a part of this big healing narrative, and so our life has meaning and fulfillment. I was talking with a, with a guy the other day, and we were talking about what we were most thankful for, and the conversation turned around to, well, what would your life be like if you had never become a Christian? That's, that's a good thing to think about. You might think about that sometime. Well, if you, if, what would my life have been like if I had not ever been saved? And everybody, actually there were four of us there, and everybody kind of shared something different, and I, 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 my answer was a little bit different. And essentially what I said was, uh, when I was young, um, even at the age of 14, I asked uh, existential questions, and I was very troubled about a world that seemed to end in death. So I was that, that goofy kid at the birthday party that was thinking about that. And I remember being at an Ohio State football game once with my dad and looking out, you know, 100,000 people screaming, cheering, all dressed in red. It was Woody Hayes and uh, Archie Griffin, and we were going to the Rose Bowls. Tremendous. My dad would take me every year. And I remember I looked out, and I saw the whole stadium filled with skeletons. And I thought, 100 years from now, we're all dead. What's the point? It can ruin a football game to, to, <laughs> to be that way. But I was the kid that was asking those questions, and I had a melancholy temperament anyway. And if I had not become a believer in Jesus Christ, and I did not have a story that made sense of my life as much as I possibly can, I either would have been a substance abuser or possibly had taken my life, I think. Because I just, I don't know if I could make sense of life without that. So when Jesus says in him was life, when John says in him was life, I think in Jesus is a meaningful reason for getting up in the morning, even when the world just has gone nuts. I mean, I'm not a big John Oliver fan. I think he's a vulgar man, but he, he has a show where, uh, let's not go there. <laughs> but he's lamenting in a secular way how messed up the world was. And even though it was profane, I thought it was deeply moving that the secular man looked at this past year and all the violence and the mistrust in Syria and, and everything is going on, and he ended with a secular lament that, that I thought was, was very powerful. The only way I can get up in the morning is if I believe that there is some story that makes sense to this. I think I told you this story, this um, lovely young lady that we help out occasionally. Three years ago, she works three jobs, and uh, she, Marquisa, and, and, and she came and, uh, this past Monday, and she said, I'm about to be evicted from my apartment on Thanksgiving Eve. And I got three kids, and sat down, dug into that with her, and found out that she'd lost a job, and 
and that she doubled up at her other jobs, and she, she, she was scrimping on food to pay her rent and doing everything she possibly can to make it, and, and then actually went to a payday lender to try to make ends meet. And, and so I started to write, I asked her if I could write a little story, and I, I did, and so I did a little research, and I, uh, she's paying 460% interest on her loans. Do you, is that legal? <laughs> That's popping up everywhere. <laughs> 460% interest. So thankfully, one of you heard about it and met her rent this month, but there are so many of those stories. I don't know how you find a meaningful life if you don't have a sense that there's something bigger going on that we're a part of that is working for good. I, I could get... And honestly, one of the reasons I decided to uh, do this series in John... I was just getting so discouraged in the fall by all the stuff going on in the world. And I, I just was finding that Solomon wasn't helping. You, you might notice that we didn't end the last sermon on Solomon. It's because Solomon tanks too, like David does. And I thought, ah, okay, we're done with Solomon. We're going to move on to something else. So, in him was life. The other way that I think this makes sense and it's so hard to describe this, and it's like Louis Armstrong said, if you've got to describe jazz, you'll never know what it is. You probably know what this is. It's that you actually share in his life. That's the hope of the whole gospel. Paul talks about union with Christ. Jesus describes it as abiding with Christ, however you want to describe it. I mean, this is the hope of the gospel, not that I, I get saved and I put a little bracelet on and says, what would Jesus do, and then I try harder. The hope of the gospel is that his life is my life, that he exchanged his life for my life, Romans 6 through 8. That's the whole hope of the gospel, that his life is my life. That's it. That's our hope. How do you actualize that? This is where I think we, we get a little confused. It's true for every believer that you share his life, but you don't appropriate that life unless you are intentional about it. <laughs> this is why Christianity is hard. If you want the life of Christ to flow through your veins, if you want direct communion with Christ, if you want to abide in Christ, if you want Christ's life to be your life, you have to be intentional. You need to come to things like we're doing tonight, and you need time, if not daily, almost daily, where you are alone and quiet and in God's word and awake, and there's no shortcut. And so Advent is a time, and I plead with you to do this, beloved, just find five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes this Advent to unplug from this world. It'll be there when you get back. And spend time with Jesus. That's how you appropriate his life. Silence, scripture, and prayer. That's it. There's no shortcut. There's no other way. Yeah, you can do it in the woods, you can do it in the barn, wherever you want to do it. But there's no shortcut. 
It won't just fall on you. And if you're like me, one of the things that I think the church calendar helps us with is you realize when you get kind of out of whack, and if you're going into Advent, we start it tonight, you start to realize, man, I am really angry, or I am really anxious, or, or I just, well, go back to the bread. Step back for a moment. Go into the cathedral. Just be with him. Just for a little bit. In him was life. And his life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness. The life leads to light, which shines in the darkness. John loves these metaphors of light and dark. Second question I want you to kind of think of as we start off Advent. How much darkness is in your life tonight? How dark do you feel? It's okay. I stood up here a year ago and said I was in a place of deep darkness. This year I was very thankful that I'm not anymore. We get there. How dark is your life? Well, what do I do about the darkness as it is in my life? One thing you can do is go back to Jesus. And you might ask, where have I been looking for life apart from Jesus? What are the other places I've been looking for life apart from Jesus? Nothing will make our hearts darker than looking for light from the wrong lamp. Now there's a metaphor here too, I think that fits our calling in life, and it's this, that just as Jesus' life leads to light for others in the darkness, so when you begin to connect with the life of Christ, your light will be in the shine in the darkness. Uh, the Indians had this idea, the Native American Indians had this idea of a vision quest, and one of the things that they would do is that they, they would fast, and they'd send you out to the mountains for three days, and you'd pray, and you'd worship, and, and at some point you would have an... Uh, God would give you a vision for your life. And as Christians, we don't quite do it that way. But I think the idea is very solid. The idea means that there, got, there has to be some place in your life where you are going out in the mountains and seeking a vision. Where you are getting alone with God. You, you are hearing from God to find your calling in your life. And when you find that calling, you'll begin to bring light to others. Let's pray.